Welcome to God's Watchmen. Thank you for tuning in, and may this be a blessing to you. For all those that are new listeners and don't know where to find us, check us out at godswatchmen.com. That is godswatchmen.com, M-E-N. Now tonight we have a very special guest as usual. He is such an amazing guy, and he, and he is always willing to help those in need. He is a brother, and that will defend and have your back to the end. He will encourage you like no other. Not only is he my brother in Christ, he is a dear friend of mine. If you ever run into him, don't let his height and size intimidate you, because really, he's just a big old teddy bear who will give you the biggest bear hug you'll ever receive. But before we start, I'd like to give you some details of what you will all be hearing tonight. This man has a very powerful testimony. Only by the grace and mercies of God is he here tonight to be able to share a story. He'll be sharing about his life of redemption, forgiveness, total darkness, condemned by the world, and sitting on death row for 20 years to be set free by Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 13 to 14 states, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. You guys are in for a treat. Let's welcome Mike Jones. Uh, hello, everybody. How you doing? Nice to be here. Thankful to be here. Praise God. Yeah. Well, thank you, Mike, for joining us tonight. I appreciate you taking time out of your day to be able to sit down and share what God has done through your life. So, Mike, what do you like doing these days? What interests you and what excites you about life the most? Uh, for the most part, I start my day off with God, first and foremost. I have to do my devotions in the morning. Um, just graduated the School of Ministry for Calvary Chapel last year, right before the holidays. And um, so I've gotten into a routine of just doing my devotions, starting my day with God. You know, we have a pastor who tells us that, you know, start your day with God because you can't control the rest of your day. And mm -hmm. so with him telling us that. So it's so important that I start my day. And pretty much even on my days off, I'm still praising God. But I have to tell you, I'm a video game junkie. I love my PS5. So <laughs> that's what I do sometimes. I just veg out on my days off and play my PS5. But I do spend a lot of time in the Word because I have to prepare lessons. Uh, God has opened some doors for me um, to go to the rescue mission the third Sunday of every month, and we go to the local county jail here the second Sunday in the evenings of every month. So God is definitely opening some doors for me. That's awesome. So you enjoy all that video gaming? Yes. <laughs> I play a lot of military games because I'm prior military, so I play a lot of Ghost Recon or Call of Duty. That's the thing. That's what I like to do. Hey, man, whatever keeps you <laughs> sane. It does. It really mm. does. It helps my focus. And mm. I've actually stopped preparing a lesson. I'll get stuck. I'll jump on my video game and just refocus there. And then all of a sudden... God will hit me with something, and then I'll go right back to my lesson and writing it up. It it really does help. Well, that's great. I mean, I know you're very smart. Yeah, well, that's uh, contextual. <laughs> I don't even know what that word means. Well, people say you're smart because, yeah, I have a college degree and things like that, but realistically, the only smart and intelligence that I need is what comes from God. That's right, and when you are teaching at at all these places, you know, the mission, does that bring you joy? Yeah, 
because it's not about me. God moves me out of the way, and he uses me as a vessel because, you know, he says in Matthew 28 that we're supposed to go out and make disciples of the nations. And mm-hmm. that doesn't mean just going to one country to the next. The nations mean people, ethnicities, different backgrounds. So they need to hear the word, and I'm just thankful that, you know, I can be a willing vessel for him to use. Yeah, so you're doing it here in your town that you call home. Yes. Lebanon is now your what? This is my home. This is my home. So if we rewind rewind to the beginning, you what? We're born in Baltimore, right? Baltimore, Maryland. Um, Most people know several things for Baltimore. We have uh, the Ravens. We have the Orioles. But I grew up near the Pimlico Racetrack where they hold the Preakness, which is part of the Triple Crown. I literally grew up seven blocks away from that historic racetrack. Okay. So it's it's kind of cool because during the summer months as a kid, I'd mow the lawn for my grandmother. Yeah. And I could hear the the horn going off, you know, so you'd hear that and, you know, you just know that that's it's a famous place and so I love it. Sweet. Tell me a little bit about your childhood and how you were raised. Um like I said, once again, born and raised in Baltimore, raised by a single mom. Um, mm. My biological father really wasn't there in the picture at all. all um, right. He was there at his choosing when it suited him, which was hardly ever. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom never took him to court for child support or anything like that. She tried to keep it fair for him, and he just proceeded to do what he wanted to do. Uh, you know, and I don't really hold anything against him now. I did as a kid. You know, I resented him because, matter of fact, there was pretty much, I would say, a downright hatred for him because I often wonder, why didn't he want me? Why didn't he want to spend time with me? I'm his kid. I'm his only son. And I have two half-sisters. But at the same time, it was one of those things to where, you know, I just had a lot of anger issues as a kid. I had a lot of discipline behavioral problems as a kid because I just did not have that male figure in my life that I needed that that father that I needed but you know that's neither here nor there it's something that I can't take back but I did have my mom raise me my grandmother my grandfather um and being raised by them they did teach me good values they really did they my mom (laughs) She worked her butt off to make sure that I had, she sacrificed a lot for me. Yeah? Yeah. I mean, it was to a point to where we moved from the inner city out to the county just so I could have a better education. And so I went from going from inner city schools to predominantly white schools in Baltimore County, which there at that time when I was coming up, there weren't that many blacks who were living there. So... She wanted me to have a better education, a better edge in life. And so, yeah, my mom sacrificed a lot. That's but, great. I know you love your mother. Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. Yeah. That's that's my heart. Yeah. yeah. Was it tough during them times? And raising me, probably. <laughs> I'm sure it was. You know, I didn't make life easy for her. But it was tough because... As I reflect back now, I could have done a lot more, or I should say a lot less, of getting in the trouble. And it wasn't major trouble that would put me into a group home or anything. It was just mm-hmm. typical boy, kid stuff. Yeah. But I still think if I had done a lot less of that and more listening, 
I think life would have been a lot easier. But at the same time, the things that I've experienced in this life, I wouldn't change because it's shaped me for who I am now. I think we have a tendency to say, oh, I wish I could go back in time and do this and do that and change this and tell my younger self this. But if you weren't willing to listen then, why would you mm -hmm. be willing to listen now? Yeah, so you wouldn't go back. You wouldn't change nothing. No. All right. Did you know Christ growing up? I knew of him. I was born and raised Catholic. So you kind of know of God and you know of Christ because you see all the symbolism, all the stained glass. I was an even an, uh, an altar boy. I had an uncle who was a deacon in the church that I grew up in, which was literally down the street from where I originally grew up. And going to church was more of a routine, you know, especially in in a black community. The really the only times that you saw people in mm -hmm. abundance at church was Christmas or Easter. Yeah. And so Easter was a fashion show and Christmas was always midnight mass and it was always such a routine. You enter the building, dip your hands in the water, make the sign of the cross, go down to your pew that you normally sit in, genuflect, meaning kneel down, make the sign of the cross again, get in kneel down again, pray, and then sit there and wait for the priest to come in. So it was such a ritualistic thing that I didn't really understand anything of God, but I knew of him. You didn't have a relationship? No, not at all. When did you say you started to have a relationship with Christ? In a very dark period in my life. Okay. I went through a very dark period. This is now. sometime after I got out of the military. So when did you go to the military? I went to the military in the 80s. In the 80s. How yeah. old were you? Out of high school? No, this was 88, and so a couple years out of high school. But it was right after the embassy bombing in uh, Lebanon, the country. Okay. And I went in, went through boot camp, you know, excelled at it. But realistically... It's one of those things that I did because I thought that's what I needed. Yeah. And I'm glad that I served my country. But, you know, like I said, I went in, I excelled at it, meritoriously promoted out of boot camp, meritoriously promoted out of my first school, and then by the time I got to my duty station, promoted again. So it was, it was you know, upward mobility, but it still did not fulfill a need. But I didn't realize how empty I was. Until that dark time. Yeah. So you mentioned this dark time. Uh, would you explain what led you to this dark time? Well, I got out of the military on a medical discharge. I was in an armored vehicle accident. It, um, and at that time, when you had an accident such as that, mm -hmm. and if the government or the military is not willing to wait for you to rehab, it's kind of like boot you out and let the next person come in. Yeah. And I've had problems with my legs ever since because it ruined my knees. And I just had two knee replacements. Um, but in that dark time of getting out, the lack of a relationship of knowing Christ and having a relationship with the Lord, my life just went into a downward spiral. I was married, had one kid, and then getting out, I had another child, and then another child, and this. I felt like I was in a Venus flytrap, and it's nothing against my children. It's nothing against my ex-wife, but 
life felt like a Venus flytrap and I was on a downward spiral, but I didn't seek help. I was angry all the time. But mind you that all of this I'm reflecting on now is what I failed to recognize then. But I was just on a really bad downward spiral and uh, I ended up in prison. How long were you in prison? 20 years. 20 years. It was a capital offense, um, but prior to that, my ex-wife never knew, but I was on the run for nine years with a wife, with a kid, and they had no idea what I had done. And so I was just trying to put an episode like that behind me, and believe me, it's yeah, it's something that you just can't readily put away on the shelf and say, okay, I'm going to forget about this. No, you, you don't. You think about it every single day. Yeah, and it's more than just conviction. It's um, guilt can probably be one of the heaviest weights you can carry until you are confronted with it and you have to deal with it and take responsibility. In that dark time, put me in prison, but I was on the run for nine years, and it was a rough nine years. Constantly looking over your shoulder, constantly wondering when are the cops going to come and get me? You know, when's it going to? finally close in on me. Um, my offense was a capital offense. Um, you know, with it being a capital offense, it's, yes, I did take a life. It's not something I'm proud of. And I'll get to the whole pride thing. Someone had misconstrued something about me, but it's definitely something I'm not proud of and I can't take back. And I still wrestle with it today, wrestle with forgiveness, uh, seeking forgiveness from God. And and so it's a dark period. Is, and it was a very dangerous prison, you know. I did my time in Utah. Um, and it's a predominantly white prison, so you can imagine being a minority there. It's like walking in a minefield. And so it's just a dark period, but it's interesting. Out of that darkness... That's when I met the Lord. So, That's when I met him. So you were sitting on death row for 20 years? Uh, no, first five. First five. First five. First five. So, but it was a capital offense originally, but they put you on death row until you actually win, uh, get your reduction. And originally it would have, if not been a, a death penalty, it would have been life without parole. But this is how God works when I... It's interesting, when I was in county jail, an officer had come up to me, an officer that I gotten to know who was a Christian. He did have a different religious belief, but I believe in my heart that this man was a Christian, and he came up to me one night, in the middle of the night, comes knocking on my cell door, opens it, and he says, Jones, I have a message from the Lord for you. He says, if you confess your sins, not your crime, but he says, if you confess your sins, there will be a blessing in it for you. And this is like 2 in the morning. My celly's looking at me. I'm looking at the cop. I'm thinking, okay, this is too weird, too strange. But surprisingly enough, I got on my knees. I had prayed about it. By this time, I already had a public defender. I called. I got up that next morning, called her, and she came into the jail about about 1.30 that afternoon, and I confessed my crime to her. I confessed it. And the blessing was is that 
that's how I got a one to fifteen second involuntary manslaughter. Mm. I should be rightfully right now sitting on death row. Obviously, God has a different plan for my life, and I still. It's hard to wrap your head around something like that when you know you're facing death, hmm. which I rightly deserve. I make no bones about that. I tell people I rightfully deserve that. And I've talked to kids in prison on the Skeered Straight program. I rightfully deserve death. But God, in his infinite wisdom, his knowledge of my life, changed all that in an instant. And I'm like, I had to do time. But 20 years, I mean, I really think about that. That's half of what the Israelites did in the wilderness. Yeah, you... You admit you deserve death just as I deserve death. Sinners deserve death. Mm -hmm. Jesus' words, you know, Matthew 5, 21, you have, heard that our an uh, you have heard that our ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you are in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. Yeah. You know, in my heart, when I hate, I commit murder, you know. But praise the Lord, we're cleansed from them things. And you know, it's interesting you, you when you read that because when I was a new beginner, you read that, it's like, Oh, murderers just have no chance. Oh, I'm not even getting, I won't even get close to the gates of heaven. I mean, there's so mm. many times I've read in scripture, like murderers have no place in heaven. They have no place in this. And I'm like, look, I am not even going to get close to the gates. But once again, if God had meant me not to have the prosperity of my heart focused on eternity in heaven, he wouldn't be doing what he's doing in my life. I mean, he's opened so many doors to which I don't even feel worthy walking through them, but in the economy of God, he makes you worthy. Yeah. So it's just one of those things to where that's where my relationship with him started. It was actually in prison. At first, it was one of those things you, you go to a, a church service or a Bible study to get out of the section you know, sometimes the chapel in a prison can become a social area to where everybody meets there to do their wheeling and dealing or just, like I said, to get out of the section. But I think towards the last portion of my time, the last five years of my time, is when God really started speaking to me. And when I was transferred to a county jail, because out there they have contracts with county jails, state inmates can go. So the last five years, you're 15 years in now, right? Yes. Okay. So the last five years is when God really started working on my heart, changing me. The relationship process was really building. Um, I was in a county jail, which is in St. George, Utah. It's called Purgatory. <laughs> I still laugh at that because it's like purgatory, mm. stuck in the middle, not quite in heaven, not quite in hell type thing. Mm. So, but that was the uh, purgatory correctional facility, and I was on a road crew, 
and being on a road crew, you're not shackled. You're allowed to go out on a crew. You clean the highways or the courthouse buildings, things like that. And it starts to reintegrate you back into society, and people start to recognize you. I mean, it got to a point people would see us. They honked their horns at us like, hey, guys, you need anything? And it's like, that take was me weird. Home. Yeah, take me home, please. I need ice cream. <laughs> but they would, um, so I had some gentlemen who are my brothers now, and they're, they're actually good friends from Calvary Chapel, St. George, Utah. And matter of fact, not just from St. George, but there's a, a little township called Hurricane there, and had brothers from there who would come in and witness to me. And it got to a point to where we were teaching each other the word. And God used them literally to get me here to Lebanon. Mm. That's the interesting thing because they had written a letter to U-Turn for Christ in Pahrump, Nevada. And I was going to start there as an intern. That's because I'd done programs in prison. I helped create a program in prison and they were going to hire me as an intern. And so with that, I just told him, I said, look, I'm from the East Coast. I haven't seen my mom for 20 years. I want to be home. They looked around. First, they were going to have me go to New Jersey. Then they got a hold of Pastor Keith here in Pennsylvania. And the next thing I know, here I am. And they blessed me by coming to pick me up from prison. Yeah. Took me shopping for clothes. Gave me a phone. Gave me money. Took me out to dinner. And purchased my bus ticket. And what year was that? This was in 2020. So 2020. We're going to get back to this, but yep. I got a I got a question. Uh, what was the hardest thing while being in prison? You know, maybe the beginning years, knowing that you're being condemned by the world, rightfully saying you know what you did. In a sense of that, you know, also exiled and hated by family members, and you know, mm. the victim's family. How did all? that weight of all them emotions, all that shame, all that guilt, was that used to bring you to your knees to Christ? Or as you received Christ, the weight was still being lifted? And I know today... Um, for the most part, those feelings and things like that, people don't realize that you have those feelings, but in, in the prison setting... You have to suppress them. Mm. You can't perceive or be perceived as being weak in any form or fashion. Now, I'm not saying I'm the toughest guy, as we say, too hard for the yard, but no. when it came to your feelings of your beliefs and things like that, you kind of had to suppress them yeah. because people just in there aren't trying to hear that. They figure there's no hope. Um, for me... God was really moving. He always seemed to put me in contact with other Christians so we could study the Word, go to church together, and literally hang out together. I mean, you kind of walk a fine line in prison. You can be a believer, but it's still prison. You, you, in the beginning stages of my walk, I was walking on both sides of the fence. Well, you know, I'm a convict over here, but when I go to church, I'm holier than thou type attitude. That's, I'm being real about it because it's a matter of survival. You're going to do whatever it takes to survive. You were letting your crime define who you really were yeah. versus your identity in Christ. Yeah, 
because the identity of your crime determines where you are on the food chain in prison. Mm. You know, because there are people in there who have crimes against children. They're at the bottom of the food chain. Matter of fact, they literally become like the chum in the water, per se. Guys who have taken a life, it doesn't matter, male or female, but you've taken a life, so that kind of puts you higher up on the food chain because they know that in their minds or in their thinking that you're willing to go to that length to do whatever to protect yourself. And so, yeah, to some degree, my crime did define my status, if you want to put it that way, in prison, yeah. Right. That's not a good thing, but that's the reality of things. When did Jesus start to set you free from that identity and be able to accept his full forgiveness of Mike Jones? Literally after about 15 years in, like I said, my last five years, that's when he really started working on my heart. And to be honest with you, there's times now to where I struggle with identity I'm struggling with emotions. Um, I don't mind telling people, especially if anyone's listening to this who has been to prison, um, I'm getting mental health treatment right now because I'm trying to learn how to deal with emotions because I've had to suppress them for so long. So, yeah, towards the last five years, that's when God really started saying, don't worry about, don't let that define you. I want to redefine you because God does not rebuild something he always creates something new and yeah. like it says in first corinthians five seventeen, if any man be in christ he is a new creation behold old things have passed away all things have become new and he doesn't redo he starts brand new with your life and it's that's man i i just don't have words for it at times this is perfect timing before i came up here i had misprinted well, I didn't even misprint. I forgot to print out the questions. I go down. Ginger gives me this paper. It says, who am I? Hmm. My identity. I'm going to read a couple things. My identity. Satan's lies. You are a sinner because you sometimes sin. You get your identity from what you have done. You get your identity from what people say about you. Your behavior tells you what to believe about yourself. God's truth. You are a saint, one declared righteous by God, who sometimes sin. You get your identity from what God has done for you. You get your identity from what God says about you. Your belief about, you, about yourself determines your behavior. So the question is, who am I? And it says, I'm accepted, John 1.12. I am God's child. I am Christ's friend. I've been justified. I am united with the Lord. And I am one in spirit with him. And the list goes on. And it says, I am secure. I am free forever from condemnation. I am assured that all things work together for good. And, you know, the list goes on. And then it says, I am significant. I am the salt and the light of the earth. Mike, you are salt. You are light. Let your light shine for his glory. You know, and then it says, I am a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. And, you know, the list goes on of all these, but it was kind of neat. It's talking about identity and, yeah. Well, you know, and that's the, 
that's something that you're constantly working on. At least I know that I am. You know, I've been free now for three years, mm-hmm. and it's still trying to figure everything out. Who I am, how do I fit in to this world? And I thank God every day that I'm part of Calvary Chapel here because the people really don't care about your background. They see you for who you are now, and it's a blessing, but it's a struggle. Every day still learning to identify myself through Christ and in Christ and not by what I've done. You know, it's not something that, you know, people have told me, read the Word, pray about it, get over it. You know, and to me, that's not an easy fix, you know, and I've had several people say that to me. Just read your word, pray about it, get over it. I'm sorry, you just don't get over 20 years like that. You know, there's still things that I wrestle with internally, spiritually, and God always seems to point things out to me, not right at that moment, but later on down the line, I could be struggling with something and by the end of the week, Something profound will come out in a teaching, and it's like, that's who you are, Mike. You know, and it's kind of, God's a cold piece. I always say that. People are like, look at me like, what? And I was like, yeah, God's the coldest cat that I know because he just does things where it just blows your mind constantly. Yeah. So back to 2020, you're set free. Yeah. Jesus set you free spiritually, physically. Physically and spiritually, yeah. And he brought you to the East Coast. Where I'm from. Now outside of Christ being back to the East Coast, what was the thing that you were most thankful for that kept you praising God? Like, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for this life. Like, was it the freedom from being out of the cells, or was it much deeper? Seeing my mom. Seeing your mom? Oh, man. Waited 20 years for that Hmm. just to be able to hug her. And um, I'm sorry. My mom means so much to me. But to be able to see her and to hold her and to tell her how much I appreciate her, how much I love her. And um, I've lost so much. I lost my kids. I have no idea where they're at. I lost an ex-wife. I have no idea where she's at. And... The family that I do have, it's such a blessing, you know, and it's just, uh, yeah, that was huge for me. Now, quickly, out of prison, not too long after, within the first year, you've been out of the country, into other states. Oh, yeah. Explain to us, and well, I know, but explain to the listeners how the Lord has blessed your socks off, literally. So year one, we'll we'll go. What this is the third year we're gonna year one U turn year U turn year. All right, uh, I graduated first phase. I was only sixty eight days out of prison, and I was just so happy at that graduation. I think I gave a little bit too much information, so that kind of made some people kind of jaded towards me. But because they saw that I was excited, but they mistook that excitement for me just being free. I went through second phase, but as I was going through second phase, I was sent to Tennessee U-turn in Greenville, Tennessee to, uh, to be an overseer down there while the pastor went on vacation 
And you cried. Oh, yeah, I cried. I cried big time because I had no idea what Christian leadership was about. Military leadership is one thing. Christian leadership is a whole different animal. And so I was down there. There were plenty of times that I called my pastor, the senior pastor here, Pastor Tom, and crying on the phone, literally crying on the phone, saying, I can't get through to these guys. What's going on? And, you know, they their same response was confirmed. It says, just keep pouring into them. Don't worry about what they're complaining about. You're there for these men. And if they have anything to say about the pastor, stop them and just pray with them and just do what God has you to do. So I was down there for 60 days. Then after that, I met my pastor out in California. I've been to Mexico. Um, now remember, guys, this is the first couple months out of prison. Yeah, I haven't even been out of prison a year, and so I went to the West Coast pastors or the U-turn uh, pig roast, and so went to uh, California. Then from California, we went down to Mexico, and it was an awesome experience. I mean, here I am, a guy fresh out. I'm in Mexico, sitting on the beach, and just contemplating the whole time I was there. It's like, how is this even possible? And I, we, yeah, a couple hundred miles up there, I did prison for the yeah. past twenty years. And so it's just, it was blowing my mind. And but I, I made a lot of friends with a lot of other pastors and guys from U-turns from uh, the West Coast and. It was just an amazing thing to to experience, and I also got to meet the pastor from Nevada, Big John Jimenez, and um, and Big John is a really cool pastor from the U-turn in Nevada. I got to meet him face-to-face. I got to see a, a, a another U-turn alum become ordained, and so the experiences that God has given me in my first year was just on a whole nother level. I, I have no way of truly describing the joy he was showing that was yeah his goodness his big time yeah and seems to me he was going out of your way to get you to trust him yeah i mean who goes to mexico fresh out of prison seriously i mean yeah but year two um by the time year two got here went to an east coast pig roast down in South Carolina, got to experience um, some time down there, and that was an awesome experience, and then a little bit before year three, I got to go to the Dominican Republic on a mission trip with the School of Ministry, and me and my brother Austin here, we spent, what was it, a week? I think 12 days. 12 days in the DR, and let me tell you something. I have a passport, and I travel to the DR, and I still, that still just blows my mind. That's how he got the nickname Coconut Head. Coconut Head, yeah. <laughs> but let me tell you, it was it was a, an experience. It was it was awe inspiring to be able to go on a mission for God and just to watch what He does and to make friends not just here in the United States, but in an entirely different country, different culture. Um. Yeah, sometimes I just don't have the words for it. Now, about how do you provide for your work? How do you provide for your housing? You know, and that's the interesting thing. I went from U-turn 
to the school of ministry and I'm still in the school of ministry house. Also, God opened up the door to where I actually work uh, here in Calvary Chapel. I work in the media ministry and I do the YouTube streaming. And so uh, I had a great I have a great boss. His name's Derek and he's taught me so many different things and the one thing that this job has taught me is patience. Cuz sometimes I can be a little impatient. Sometimes I can get a little frantic when things don't work right. But Derek has taught me, so it's just relax and figure things out. And so now I do that. And the only time that I really see Derek is on a Sunday because he takes care of Pastor Tom's uh, services, doing his slides and everything. But pretty much on Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, he's left me to do that so I can set up the streaming if slides are needed for the pastors who teach the different uh, or the various Bible studies. So it's very rare that I call him now. So it's it's been a blessing. God has opened his door. And this, the church family here is incredible. And, I, you know, I'm just blessed. You said, you know, you don't know where your kids are at. You don't know no. where your I have no ex-wife idea. is at. Uh, you have your mother here. You didn't have a dad. But look at the big family that God has given you here, right? Yeah. I mean, he's giving me more brothers and sisters than I know what to do with. And some of the older uh, couples here like aunties and uncles. And so it's just he's giving me a new family. And it's just and it seems to continuously grow (laughs) day by day, year by year. So but God is good. Today, what brings you the most joy serving the Lord? Watching other people especially those who have never known the Lord and when they finally surrender and they're willingly give themselves to Christ and to receive Christ in their hearts, you know. And it's nothing that I've done or anybody. They just, the Spirit moves upon them and they they throw up the white flag and they surrender. And And that's something that has to occur every day, even with believing Christians who are, you know, in our midst of our walk. Surrender is key. Every single day. Yeah, that's one thing that I've learned being around you. You know, there's people that say, you know, watch for flattery and all that. Well, Mike, don't just flatter you. That's not what he's doing. If you cook something good, he'll tell you, whew, (laughs) that was some good food. And it's not a lie. He... He's saying it, man, for 20 years, I had to eat whatever I was eating. And when, I don't know, it just always blows my mind when Mike eats something good, he'll tell you, and he'll tell every other person he runs into how great of a cook you are. (laughs) If you cook Mike anything other than ramen noodles in a microwave, yeah, (laughs) he'll say you're the greatest cook, and he'll tell everybody down the street. You know, and the sad part is, I hate to say this. But he's serious. That's the thing. He is serious. Ramen noodles are a staple in prison, and I still eat them occasionally. I don't know what's wrong with me, but it's just, you know, sometimes when I want that quick snack, I will throw a ramen in a pot and cook it with a quickness. But I'm going to tell you right now, Austin cooks a mean steak. So I'm just letting you know right now, this dude can cook a good steak, and I love steak. I never seen a person put ranch on a steak though. <laughs> well, you know, everybody has their taste, you know. 
People use steak sauce. I use ranch. I'm just saying. Yeah. You did eat asparagus. You said you don't like it. Yeah. You like it. I like asparagus now. That's something I wouldn't eat in Brussels sprouts, too. So, but yeah. But God is good. I just, it's just sometimes it's really hard for me to wrap my head around the things that he's doing, not just in my life, but others' lives. I watch him do things in lives. And, you know, sometimes we question, why, Lord? Why would you do this for me? And I had someone pose a question to me. It says, why not you? Because we spend, at least I know, I spend a large amount of my time thinking I'm just so unworthy of any blessing that God gives me. And yet, he shows me the complete opposite. And for that, I'm thankful. Sometimes I just don't have enough words to praise and worship him, but thank goodness he searches the heart because he knows the praise that I have for him in my heart. When words fail me, he searches my heart. So Beautiful. What During your tough times when you may fear or have anxieties or worries, when an obstacle comes up today, how do you seek the Lord or pursue him and, you know, face that head on versus isolating or just giving up or going on the run? Sometimes I've found myself getting ahead of the Lord and getting in the way and then I have to take a couple steps back. But when I'm faced with an obstacle, first I deal with frustration of self. It's easy to get caught up in self. Then once I get over myself, then I go to the Lord. But God is teaching me now, come to me first before you think about self. Because it's so easy to get caught up in self. Um, that's probably one of the most debilitating factors about being a Christian is that we always rely on self because that's what we've always had. And so learning a new way He's teaching me, go to me in prayer. But the one thing I'm learning in prayer is that we can pray all the time, but when do we have time to listen? We always pray for something, but there has to be a time of listening, and that's what he's teaching me now. Listen, Hmm. you pray for a lot of things, but you're not hearing the answer. I need you to listen. And so that's what I'm learning. That's what he's speaking to you today. Yeah, listen. You know, because, like I said, we, we spend 90% of our time talking to the Lord. Lord, well, I need this. I want this. Well, yeah, you know, I've been looking for that, and please help me with this. Well, when do we ever take the time to listen? And so that's what I'm learning now is to listen, just to be still, be quiet, and know that God's God. He's got this well in control. He knows what I have need of before I even ask. His word affirms that. And so that's what he's teaching me. Awesome. God is. He's really awesome. You have anything new and exciting coming up? Any plans that God is opening up for you? Uh, Right now, I'm just, um, I'm being comfortable in the moment. He's teaching me how to teach his word. 
That's why he's. And also now he's just opened up the door for me to be with my brother doing these podcasts. Yeah. So you're going to be hearing from both of us a lot now. So we've been out of the loop for a little bit, but, you know, for those who are out there who've missed Austin and God's Watchmen, well, we're coming back and, and be in store for powerful testimonies. Be in store for the Word of God to, to touch you and to change you in ways that you didn't expect. So, yeah, I believe Mike will add more character to the team that we already have. Mike, he is. I am a character. And he can change his voice. And why, yes, yes, I can. <laughs> see, he got he got the perfect radio voice, television voice, interview voice, and he thinks he got jokes, but I do. I'm kind of a funny guy, but yeah, I do have that. He always tells me I have that perfect radio voice you know i'm looking at a bottle of water now that's right pure life water you too can be refreshed every single day but that's not the water that we want we want the water of life that comes from christ that's the purest life water we can ever get that's right the living water the living water and are you planted by that living water yes yeah i want to be like that guy in psalms one yes Planted by that water, you know, leaves will never wither. And it's just, you know, I think about the woman at the well that Christ was talking to. You know, he tells her, well, the water that you're pulling out of that well, you know, you'll be thirsty again. The water that I want to give you, you'll never thirst again. And that's what God's been giving me these past couple of years now being out. Water that I should never be thirsty again. And I don't want people to fall into this rut and get complacent. That's what happens sometimes with Christianity, that God blesses us, gives us that water, and we think, oh, we're full, we're good, and you can become complacent. No, you should never be complacent in your walk. If anything, you should desire more to do God's will. You should desire more to seek Him. You should desire more just to be in His presence. And that in and of itself is something that we're always learning to do. So please don't get comfortable as a Christian because Jesus wasn't comfortable. His disciples were not comfortable, you know, so. Your number one goal every day is to get to know Jesus better, right? Not just to get to know him better, but to literally do his will. Yeah, spend time with him. Yes, so, Mike, through all this, in them darkest times, through the happy times, through the blessings, what are some scriptures that you know that stood out, that just pierced your heart, that you knew to stand on, that you knew God was saying something to you right then and there, if there's any? Well, people always laugh when I say this, but God has a 911 number. It's Jeremiah 33, 3. Call unto me, says the Lord, and I will show you great and mighty things to which thou dost not know. And there's been plenty of times that I've had to call on him, and he has shown me things and that I didn't know. He's blown my mind, and then he puts it, puts it back together, and it's just, yeah. My life verse getting out of prison was Jeremiah 29, 11. 
For I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace, not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. He's done that. He's given me a future. He's given me a hope. And he shows his heart and his thoughts towards me. And so it's just, but the one thing I, I would like to let people know that you have a life verse. But let me tell you, a life verse can change as you continue in your walk. And the one that he's showing me now is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who love him. And that word condemnation means guilt. And that's something I struggle with a lot. But he's showing me that if you love me, you don't have any guilt. Your sin has been cleansed from you. You are my kid. You know, I just want to run into his arms and just yell, Abba. And, you know, God is just so great with that to let you know that you don't have any guilt. You're good. Sometimes that's a hard thing for us to wrap our heads around, knowing that we're good, you know. We always say we want to be in a right standing with God. Well, the right, part of that right standing in God is that we have to surrender that guilt to him. We have to surrender sorrow to him. And let me tell you, that's, uh, yeah, that's what we have to do. And sometimes that's hard because he tells us, cast all our cares into the dung heap. Well, we have a tendency to put our things on a fishing rod line and we cast it out there, then we want to reel it back in. But what I'm learning to do is when you cast the line out, let go of the rod. Let it keep going. <laughs> let re Just let go. That way you can't reel it back in. That's part of the surrender is literally letting go. That mm. is so important. So important. You know, when you were mentioning about love, what was running through my mind is Jesus' words, John 13, 34. It says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one. Well, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all, we'll know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Yeah. Powerful love. And you know, the thing is, love covers a multitude of sins. God displays this love upon the back of Christ. He displays this love by putting Christ up on that cross. He displays that love by resurrecting Christ. Mm. And, you know, when you really look at the whole episode of what Christ went through for that crucifixion, that's love. He, it surpasses anything that we know about love. That's love. He was sinless. Yes. Here these past couple days, been meditating on Jesus going to the cross, right? This sinless man, and, you know, you've said you struggle with, you know, getting frustrated or getting angry. And what what do you do if somebody stomped on your foot or if somebody hit you? You want to... I'm going to get in the flesh. Yeah. <laughs> That's you, part of it, you and know. I was really thinking, you know, God's in all things, right? I just sat there. Every time Jesus got whipped and it pulled. It blows my mind that Jesus was sinless, didn't he? 
have a thought. This is going back to just the thoughts, mm-hmm. not even acting. And I'm sitting here thinking, man, I get road rage sometimes. And I got to confess, Lord, forgive me. I don't know why what, what came over me. That's a lot of times. You know, and well, because it's easy for us to act out our nature. The nature of Christ and our nature are entirely two different things. So in our nature, because we are in this sinful flesh, our nature is literally to have that knee-jerk reaction. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Pastor Tom taught one day about Christ being on the cross. He says, I can imagine... Christ not just hanging there hopelessly on the cross, but every time he was thinking about somebody, he probably pushed himself more onto that cross to bear more pain, Mm. to bear more shame. And, you know, when you really think about that and consider that, wow, he didn't just hang there hopelessly. He hanged there for a task, for a purpose, And when we really look at that purpose or that task for which he was sent, because his name says it all, Jesus, which means saves. So he, I can see it, him putting himself, pushing himself against that cross even more to bear everything and to give all. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just... That's love. That's, that's, as Corey Ashbery, the singer says, the reckless love of God. That is just so mind-blowing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Mike, for sharing your side of your story, God's story through you. Uh, I hope that this is a blessing for those that are listening and that you can see God's absolute forgiveness. You know, his unconditional love. His faithful mercies that endures forever. You know, like, if I could say if I could say one thing. Yeah. Christians. And I'm not talking about people who act out in Christianese or who are faithful on a Sunday but can be a real piece of work the rest of the week, but Christians. Your walk is not going to be perfect. You're going to misstep. You're going to make mistakes. But here's the thing. We have a God that is merciful, that is gracious, compassionate, and loving. Trust him. No matter what you go through, trust him and him alone. Mm -hmm. Call on the name of the Lord. I don't know how to make that any clearer. But call on the name of the Lord because he's the only one that can get you through anything, no matter what it is. No matter how great, how small, he's the only one that'll get you through it. So don't try to be something or do something in your own strength. Remember, your strength is... His strength is made perfect in your weakness. Embrace brokenness. Because embracing brokenness, that's when real humility 
comes to the surface. And I just want to leave everybody with that. And I just pray that you turn to the Lord. Listen. You can pray about a lot of things, but just listen for the answer. Listen for his Holy Spirit to say something to you. Because it's always going to be more profound than what your best friend can say. <laughs> Guaranteed. Amen. I'm going to end it with Colossians 1, 13 and 14 again. The word says, For he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, who purchased our freedom and forgave our sins. Would you want to pray us out, Mike? Yes. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I just pray. This is so wild for me, but as as this goes as goes out on the airwaves, Lord, and just for those who will listen, I don't want them to hear me. I don't want them to hear Austin. We want them to hear you, Lord. A word. I always pray that you give us milk, meat, and manna, Lord. So I pray in the name of Jesus that people who need that milk, they receive it. Those who want that meat, something to chew on, they receive it. And I pray for that manna, that specialness of that manna, Lord, to touch each and every heart that is willing to receive it. I lift them up to you, Father God, for those who are listening. If there's anyone who just has this yearning to surrender to the Lord, Lord, that they would do it. Not because of anything that they've heard here, Lord, but they've heard from you. And that they willingly surrender and give their lives into your hands. That trust and that faith, Lord. Thank you for this time. And I praise you, Lord. We both, in Jesus' name, pray. Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you.